Welcome to the Indigenous Mathematician series. Indigenous Mathematicians was created to bring all Indigenous mathematicians together for the purpose of representation for those Indigenous kids looking in the field of mathematics or STEM. Uh, we have today Dr. Edward Doolittle. He is Mohawk, uh, one of the six nations in Southern Ontario. He earned his PhD in pure mathematics, partial differential equations from the University of Toronto in 1997. In 2000 2001, he was a member of uh, the language group studying the Mohawk language full-time and immersion in his home community. In 2001, he joined the faculty of First Nations University of Canada, the Federated College of the University of Regina, uh, where he is now Associate Professor of Mathematics. Dr. Doolittle is interested in probability, particularly in relation to partial differential operators. He is also interested in Indigenous mathematics mathematics and related concepts concepts like indigenizing mathematics, traditional mathematics, and ethno-mathematics, and the educational possibility afforded by those different views of mathematics. He is the recipient of a Governor General's Academic Medal and an honorable mention in the William Lowell Putnam Mathematical Competition. Welcome, Edward. Well, thank you so much. So we're going to get into the questions, and, and actually before that, can you um, give us, uh, you know, in your own language where you're from and maybe some background on your genealogy? Yeah, certainly. Uh, so I'm a Mohawk, which in our language we say Ganyongahaga, and that really means Flint Nation, literally. Uh, so that's how we refer to ourselves in our language. Uh, and uh, I am from Six Nations, which uh, includes the Mohawk Nation in southern Ontario. It's the largest reserve in Canada. Uh, it's got uh, uh, 20,000 people on reserve. Um, and then there are more associated with the reserve. Uh, and um, the, uh, the language group that I studied Mohawk in is, is Ongwawana Gonjokwa. And that literally means our language group. And so I studied Mohawk in immersion in the year 2000 after I finished my PhD. This is one of the, the projects that I engaged in is to try to become uh, conversant, if not fluent in my language. And, and uh, uh, it's something I'm still working on. Great. Thank you so much. So getting into the questions, um, who are ancestors you are grateful for? Yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about my genealogy. So I'm, I'm, in some sense, half Mohawk. I've got uh, my my father is Mohawk, and my mother is of English descent, and her family uh, comes from Lancashire and Yorkshire in England, a long time ago. Uh, and my father's side, uh, we've been in Canada since the uh, the uh, um, Revolutionary War, where our people left the United States to uh, to move to Canada. And uh, I have a genealogy that goes back uh, a long time. Uh, I'd like to remember in particular my grandfather, Clifford Doolittle. Uh, I'm told I resemble him strongly. Uh, he died when my father was five years old, and it really affected my father's family and my father's life. Um, but uh, 
I was privileged to meet a, a, a friend of Clifford's who was an old man when I met him. And he said, you look just like my best friend. So that was a, that was a good thing. Mm. That's great. So did he inspire you to get into math? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I, I mean, my, my father uh, dropped out of school in grade nine, and so did my mother. Uh, but my father was always very interested in mechanical things and very handy uh, and uh, just very clever. Uh, he, he would repair an automobile that was broken down on the side of the road just with tools that were available to him. He would pull it apart and put it back together again on the spot. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think that uh, there's, you know, in our past probably there was mathematical abilities and, uh, you know, I don't think my ancestors maybe had all the opportunities to uh, develop those abilities that I was, I was privileged with. So how did you come across math as your path? I, I actually encountered mathematics really, I mean, aside from school mathematics, which I never found very interesting, uh, I encountered mathematics in the Hamilton Public Library. So I grew up, my family raised me in Hamilton, Ontario, and my parents would take me every week to the public library to pick out a few books. And so I sort of gravitated to the science section. I started reading about puzzles and uh, Martin Gardner's books on mathematics, and then and then started getting more and more into the the pure mathematics side of it. This was about when I was about ten years old. Wow! So, and what? How did you kind of pick it as your you know where you're at now and and traveling along that path? Yeah, it's uh, it's. When I went to school at the University of Toronto, I started in 1985, and I was interested in artificial intelligence at that time. But uh, in 1985, there wasn't the computing power that we have now. And so artificial intelligence was all theoretical and really poorly developed, and it never did anything practical, and it wasn't sustainable, in my opinion. So after a year of that, I decided I, I, I'm going to study something that I'm really good at, and that is mathematics. Mm -hmm. So sort of like I'm a native speaker of mathematics since I started teaching to myself from a young age. And so I was I, I could be a top student in mathematics and, and that's why I, I chose the field. I would get top marks in it. So I'm very interested in what is indigenizing mathematics, traditional mathematics, ethnomathematics mathematics in your opinion, and how is that used? Right. So this is a, a kind of a current topic in, in research, I'm trying to sort all of this out. But I think I have an idea now how to frame these questions. And um, I think that most of the mathematics that we learn in school, so there has been a, a, a lot of discussion about what we should call it. You know, this school mathematics, this, sometimes it's called Western mathematics, sometimes it's called European mathematics or Eurocentric mathematics or, or whatever. Uh, I think that the term global mathematics is appropriate 
because it is a worldwide phenomenon. So I could take my knowledge of global mathematics and I could teach mathematics anywhere in the world where English is spoken or French. I could travel anywhere pretty much in the world and teach mathematics. So it really is a global phenomenon. And that situates this question about what it is alongside questions about other global phenomena. So global economic phenomena, global you know, globalization of all kinds. So this mathematics that, that is now taught in universities is kind of a globalized phenomenon. Mm. And so all the, uh, the issues that we may have with globalization, I think, carry over into global mathematics. On the other side, what is what is the alternative? Well, that is indigenous mathematics. And indigenous mathematics is mathematics which is local, localized. It's localized to a particular geographic area or a particular people. And um, it may vary greatly from one place to another, from one culture to another. Uh, but there probably are, you know, I can't say for sure, but I believe that there are underlying phenomena. What makes this mathematical rather than some other kind of, you know, so, so that we look for the mathematical in different cultures, we will find general themes. But the details always be different because that's just the reality of, of indigenous cultures is that they vary from one place to another. That's an interesting way of thinking about it. So it's like you can use the Western type to get to a conclusion one way, um, but there's these indigenous, indigenizing mathematics that can take their own personal or not personal, but community type of mathematics to get to the same answer, but just in their own uh, process, I guess. That is probably true uh, in many cases. Uh, I, I, I will say it is true in, in many cases. In other cases, the two may not really be entirely um, consistent or, or comparable to one another because they address different issues. Different, you know, for example, um, in indigenous cultures, very often we work without the aid of technology. And so a lot of mathematics now is really technological in nature. And by technology, I mean not just high tech, but even things like paper and pencil. So mm -hmm. ask a mathematician to solve a problem without paper and pencil, and they're often, you know, uh, um, just uh, uh, hopeless at it. Now, yeah. Uh, that's not universally true. You take somebody like Archimedes, who was famous because he, he would draw in the dirt with a stick. So all he needed was a stick, and, right? But that's not true of all mathematicians. I think many mathematicians these days need some kind of technology. They need their libraries and their books and their pencils and their paper, if not uh, calculators and computers and slide rules and so on. So, so that is one thing that kind of, I, I think one factor that may distinguish indigenous mathematics from global mathematics. And that's the, the, yeah. the, Kind of personal nature of indigenous mathematics, where we uh, approach problems just with our own bodies, our own minds, and very little else. Can you give an example of maybe a you know a, a 
equation or not equation, but some type of, um, yeah, example of how you've used this in, in the classroom setting with your students, if that's possible. Right, sure. Um, I will try to, to give some examples. I mean, this is, like I said, it's all, it's all current research and people are still thinking about these things and uncovering the things that have been hidden. You know, I, I think a lot of our past has been has been hidden, has been lost, has been forgotten, and, and a lot of that is on purpose. And we see that in Canada with our residential school system. It was really, you know, uh, our, our languages, our culture, but also our mathematics was suppressed. And so we've got to try to bring this back, and it's a long, difficult process to do so. But I will try to give some examples of Indigenous mathematics. So uh, one question that I've had in the past is um, where mathematical knowledge might be located in Indigenous cultures. So in the global culture, I guess, I don't know if you can say that, but in global mathematics, uh, mathematical knowledge is generally located inside books and papers. And so it's written down using the writing technology, and it is stored in libraries and stored in journals and, and so on. Uh, uh, indigenous mathematics, I think, is stored. Uh, one place where it can be stored is in oral traditions. And so that is one place I've looked for mathematics. Indigenous mathematics is inside oral traditions. And, and trying to find the right oral tradition is, is our first question. And so I'll tell you a little bit about my culture. We have four major oral traditions. We have the creation story. We have our uh, Thanksgiving address. Uh, and so the creation story talks, in my, in my understanding of it, the creation story is about things that are uh, unchanging. So names for the plants and animals, for example, they're not changing, change slowly. We can't make up our own names for these things because then we couldn't communicate with each other very well. A clan system, which essentially tells us who we can and cannot marry, is, is uh, also fundamental to our culture, and we find it in the creation story. And also games, rules for games, the way games are played, those are in the creation story. Uh, now, the Thanksgiving address is more about knowledge, which is, which is uh, acquired. And so I was talking to a Mohawk midwife once, and she said that, you know, this, all this business about all of our lost knowledge being a tragedy. She says it's not a tragedy because we didn't always have this knowledge. We acquired this knowledge, and we can reacquire it if we need to. So um, uh, uh, you know, a lot of our knowledge has been learned and acquired over time through observation and through experimentation and through uh, uh, communication with one another and with the, the rest of the living world, all of our, all of our relations, the animals and the plants and so on. So uh, the Thanksgiving address can carry this knowledge which we acquire and which may change from time to time and which may grow. Uh, and so we talk everything in creation. We give thanks to all the things in creation. 
beginning with the, the earth, our mother, and, and all the way up to the, the, the heavens. And uh, uh, so that's one place where knowledge can be stored. Now, we have two other oral traditions which are more about dealing with human beings. So we have uh, uh, Guyana Lagoa, which means the uh, great good way, is often translated into Eng English as the great law of peace. That tells us how to get, get along with each other within our nations. And so there's a, a long, long oral tradition uh, around that. And uh, there's also uh, the great, the, the good news, which is um, how to get along with the settlers, the newcomers. And so we have, you know, these, uh, these things about dealing with nature and also about dealing with people. And so the mathematics, I have searched for it, and I think the appropriate place to locate it is within our creation story. And, and so looking at the creation story, we see some interesting phenomena. So things like rules, as in the rules of games, uh, have a mathematical structure. We can find them in the creation story. And the, um, uh, the counting numbers, for example, one, two, three, and so on, uh, we find those also in the creation story. And they play an interesting role in the creation story. The story educates young people about the numbers. It can be used as an educational tool. But uh, it also, the numbers in, in a flipped way kind of structure the story. So uh, if you are telling the story, you need to remember the sequence in which things, events occur. And so the numbers help with that. There's one of something, and then there's two of something, and then there's three of something, and there's four, and so on. So in oral tradition, uh, memory points are important because they help you remember and not leave anything out. Mm. So that's one place where we can find, search for indigenous mathematics is in our creation stories. So I, you know, all nations should be looking for this. And they may find that it's been suppressed. They may find that it's been transformed and hidden. And, and our responsibility now is to bring it out and to bring it back to life. So that's one place where we can find it. Uh, and, and the games, um, games in particular are, are a great thing, a great source of mathematical structure. So we have, we have a, a games in, in my nation called the Peach Stone Bowl game, and it's practiced in ceremony. So it's not really an appropriate thing for us to to write about or talk about as, as mathematics, but it is mathematical and it's highly structured. Mm. So it has kind of pointed the way, the direction to me to look for mathematics in, in my culture. Wow, that's interesting. I completely understand where you're coming from because we have our own creation story and yeah, there's the counting and I could think we do have games and they're, you know, obviously you gotta put the sticks, can't put it like five feet away. It has to be like, you know, a hand width away or whatever it is. So I, yeah, that, that makes sense mm -hmm. that there's math in, in these stories. Mm -hmm. um, and so what do you, what do you see in the field right now? Like, do you have classes that teach this or what's, what's out there? What do you see as like, projects that people are doing? 
Well, much of this is in research. And so I have, I, I'm, a, I'm a co-applicant on a, a SHRC grant, which is our one of our major humanities granting institutions in Canada, uh, to, to look at how Indigenous people um, use uh, the world, nature, the land, and so on, as a teacher. And, and in particular to teach mathematics. So this is, is really kind of current research, I guess. But it's something that I would like to bring into my classroom. And, and I find that some mathematics courses are more well-suited for this than others. So for example, uh, calculus, I, I struggle to introduce indigenization into calculus. Calculus mm-hmm. is very fast. And, and there's just an enormous amount that has to be covered so that the students are ready for the next course in calculus and so on. So if I take yeah. time out to kind of talk about indigenization in a calculus course, it's counterproductive, I think. Yeah, it's like adding history to a math class. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. And, you know, every time I talk about history or tell stories in any of my, uh, in my mm-hmm. calculus, math class or my statistics math class, the students just shut down. They, they kind of, oh, that's just story time. They put their head on their desk and, and they know it's not going to be on the test. So they Yeah, just... I don't have to pay attention. <laughs> right. But uh, one thing I'm working on right now, which is uh, really suitable for this, is, is something we call Math 101 in, in, my, in, in my university system. And it's uh, introductory finite mathematics. And it's for uh, mostly for teacher candidates. So uh, who want to become elementary teachers are most, uh, mostly who take this course. And so that gives me an opportunity to reach that important demographic of those who are going to become teachers of our Indigenous young people. And I hope to transform the way they see mathematics so that they teach it better and raise up new generations of students who are uh, going to enjoy mathematics more, or they're going to see themselves in it instead of seeing a culture. Uh, so I try very hard to indigenize Math 101, and I've been moderately successful. So just to give you a quick rundown of some of the things that I do, um, I talk about arithmetic. I start by doing arithmetic with the students. So we just learn how to add and subtract and multiply and divide. Now, many of them already know these things, but I do it from a slightly different perspective. I want to eventually show them how to do arithmetic in other bases. And do arithmetic in, say, base 4 or base 12 or base 20 is the way many people around the world have done arithmetic in the past. And, and so there are indigenous cultures in North America which use base 4. Some use base 5. The Mayans use base 20 and so on. And, and so I want to broaden my students' perspective and to show them that the base 10 arithmetic that you learn in school as the truth is not the only way to do it. But there's so much variation and variety around the world. And, and so I, I teach them arithmetic and other bases. And I, I recently came across a very interesting video where a woman, a very old woman, was speaking Cree, the Cree language from Canada. And uh, there were there was uh, well I I I'd send it to my Cree speaking friends and they translated it for me. But this woman was saying, okay, in in olden days we didn't use our fingers to count. That's the English way. 
we use the web between our fingers. And mm -hmm. there's only four of them rather than five. Mm -hmm. So it's a very natural way to, to introduce a base four system when you count using the spaces between your fingers instead of your fingers. Now, uh, it's sort of like if you only speak English, you only know English and you can't imagine what other languages might be like. Well, this is the same with counting. If you've only counted using your fingers, you don't know how else people count, but it's very natural to use the web between your fingers. Mm -hmm. and, and she also said we also sometimes use the knuckles. And so if you count the knuckles, there's four, four fingers with three knuckles each makes 12. And so mm -hmm. this is one very natural way of introducing a base 12 system. So I talk about this with my students, and, and I say that uh, learning about other bases will help you understand base 10 better. And it will also help you understand that mathematics is uh, an indigenous phenomenon, not just uh, not just the global base 10 mathematics that we've all learned. So that's the introduction of my course. And then I go on and talk about other things. So there are some interesting examples of uh, uh, using base 16, which is computer base. So computers with base 16. But um, in, in some modern times, we type indigenous languages using something called Unicode. And Unicode is based on a base 16 framework. And so I show the students the Unicode tables for the Canadian Aboriginal syllabics, which is a way that we write uh, indig indigenous languages, some indigenous languages in Canada. And each symbol in the syllabic alphabet has a base 16 number associated with it. This shows that base 16 uh, and, or that arithmetic and other bases is not just an old thing and a long gone thing, but it's a very modern and current thing for indigenous people. And it's important, you know, it can be valuable to know this. So that's one other example that I give. Uh, just to give you a flavor of, of a few other things, I, I uh, talk about modular arithmetic, which is arithmetic on a circle. And so uh, many, most arithmetic that we learn is on the number line. And when I went to school, we all had a number line on our desk and we you know, learned to count backwards and forwards on this number line. But you can do the same thing with the circle, the number circle. In fact, that's how computers do arithmetic. They do arithmetic. Mm -hmm. It's a big circle uh, with, you know, 32,000 numbers around the circle. But it's just like if you overflow, if you add, keep adding one to a number, you're going to get, you know, 32,767, and then you're going to go back to zero again. So you can, you eventually, computers actually do modular arithmetic. So, you know, that, that again is a modern thing, but it's an old thing. And we talk about the difference between the circle and the line a lot in Canada. Uh, you know, part, part, part of our indigenous tradition is thinking in terms of circles. And so we have a whole circle arithmetic that we can do. And, and then I use the circle arithmetic to talk about timekeeping. So uh, this gives me an opportunity to talk about the way different cultures keep time. And, and have their own calendars. So my culture, for example, uh, has uh, 13 months with 28 days each. And that makes 364 days. And it's almost exactly the length of a year. 
And then we take a day or two at the end of the year to reset the calendar. And uh, and then you know we start it all over again. So it's so accurate and so perfect. <laughs> Where yeah. you know the, this this crazy system that we have now, where you know thirty days and thirty one days and twenty eight days or twenty nine days and so on and so on. What a crazy system. So Mohawk's uh, <laughs> keeping time was much more logical, I think. Yeah, that I think we have a similar. Um, different amount of months and the same amount of days per month right. uh, and then catch up at the end. <laughs> yeah. well, uh, like an astronomical observation that the year begins at this point in time where a certain constellation, the Pleiades or the Seven Sisters is directly overhead at, at a certain time of day. So it's it's all, you know, we have, we have it all. <laughs> yeah. We have it all. Yeah, it's just a different way of thinking, come out to the same, basically the same conclusion. Right. And there's one other uh, thing I'd I'd like to talk about in my indigenization, and that's the use of beadwork designs and other indigenous art designs in um, uh, teaching number theory. So part of the, the 101 course is teaching about greatest common divisor and least common multiple and factors, uh, prime numbers and so on. And, and all of these things have analogs in terms of beadwork designs. So that's something I'm working on. Thank you. Um, do you have any advice for students aspiring to be mathematicians in the indigenous cultures? Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I can advise people that I love mathematics. And, you know, I, I think that young Indigenous people should uh, experiment and try out a whole bunch of different things. And that's what I did at the library. That was one gift that the library gave me is that I could read about anything. I could read about science, about engineering, about mathematics, about you know, on and on and on. And I just explored and sampled everything and, you know, found that I was better at some things than others. And that's just, you know, luck, I guess. And uh, whatever. But I was, I was fortunate to find the things that I was really good at. So that's what I would think to uh, advise uh, all young people is that you should really try out a bunch of different things and find out what you naturally gravitate towards, what you're interested in, and that's what you're going to become naturally good at. You hardly have, I feel like I hardly have to put in any effort at all to, to become a mathematician just because I loved it. I loved it so much. I would love sitting down, I would fill books full of algebra and it would just be like poetry to me. So, you know, I think that's that's the first thing that I think students uh, should do, to make sure that they're studying something that they really love. Um, yeah, great advice. Yeah. Um, and I want to close out right now. Is there anything you want to add? And um... Yeah, I think, uh, I think there's one more thing I'd like to say, and that's that I think we should be aiming uh, for a world that doesn't require us to give things up in order to acquire other things. So to become a mathematician, to become a scientist, we should not have to give up our indigenous identity. And, and so this is the problem that we have had in Canada for a hundred years, 
in order to attend school, students had to give up their language, they had to give up their culture. And, and, and I want to see an end to that. It hasn't yet come to an end. You know, we were talking about truth and reconciliation in Canada, but we, we can't really reconcile until we acknowledge that this hasn't yet come to an end and we still have to stop it from happening. But a lot of the way that our science and mathematics is taught asks Indigenous people to turn away from their culture, I think. So I think we have to do a lot of work to understand this effect and to oppose it and to stop it. And so I think, I think, you know, I, I would say to any young Indigenous person out there, if you're interested in studying mathematics or science or whatever, that you go ahead and do that. You do that. If you love it, it's your right to, to do that. But you should also be aware of when people are going to ask you to stop being yourself, to stop being an Indigenous person, and you should resist that. I think... I think those, uh, you know, we haven't really fully understood this, but I think that that is still happening. Wow, great message. Um, thank you again for spending time with us. Uh, so much to unpack there, and um, I'm actually excited to learn more about my own culture and, and the math. I'm going to start asking questions. So everybody out there, start asking questions of your own culture and see you know how math is involved um i guess uh to close us out if you guys have any questions you can find us on native stories uh org our website or our instagram or facebook at our native stories call everybody for listening uh and thank you so much edward for joining us See you later. Bye, y'all.